Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the 31st episode of the Green Room Podcast. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Patting myself on the back. Yeah. Uh, again, a quick thank you to our sponsors, Electro Voice, Olio, and SK Coffee. You Woo! can find more info at electrovoice.com, skcoffee.org, and oleolife.com. It's all dank stuff, y'all. All good Keep stuff. Keep you awake and I'm the drinking good mood. some SK coffee right now, actually. It makes us sound good. Yeah, it's the Costa Rican today? It's the Costa Rican blend oh, okay. today. Yeah, pretty good. You know, speaking of Central America, I just got back from there. You did? I did. Hey, hey, we'll talk about that in a bit because there's something I want to bring up first. Okay. So first, you know about John McAfee, right? You know, he is. He created like the that. security. Yeah, he created that. Yes. Have you heard about this guy? What about him? So he's running for, he, first off, let me go back in time. Wait, why are we talking about this right off the bat? Because it's a nice segue into Belize. Because, okay, so he uh, moved to Belize after he sold his company and hasn't paid taxes for like eight years, and now he's running for president. And well in Belize, he was accused of murdering his neighbor and... He was on the run, and they caught him in Guatemala, detained him, brought him back to the U.S. Somehow, he's now on a yacht and running for president, even though he's wanted in the U.S. For, from the IRS for paying, not paying taxes for eight years. But he's running for president to prove a point, he says. And what point is that? That I you can know. run for president from a yacht while I, you don't pay taxes? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Are that's not that surprising. I feel like our current elected official is like the same thing. Yeah, I think he's trying to he said he's trying to prove a point to the about taxes and some shit like that. I don't know. He's a crazy person okay. because you know what else? You know what he's into? Killing his neighbors. Well, that he claims he didn't do and you know, <laughs> I don't know if he did or didn't because I'm not that into it. it. Sounds pretty OJ-ish to me if you're going to go run running away. I, I know, okay, right? Whatever. I know, right? Anyway, what he was into which there's video proof of this, of women's testimonies down there. He would hire uh, local village women. He had a hammock, and he would sit under the hammock, and he would cut a hole in it, and he would hire local village women to shit through the hole onto his face and his mouth. Like, that's his fetish. This is documented. This is well documented. Oh, my God. I can't believe we just talked about that. <laughs> So, nice segue into Belize. You just came back from Belize. How was it? I don't know that I can talk about this now. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, for that jarring first bit of information. Hopefully, you used Norton antivirus. Belize was really cool. I didn't see John McAfee. We, went, we flew into Belize City, and then it, you don't really want to stay in Belize City, I guess. It's pretty scary. So... We drove all the way out to San, uh, San Ignacio and Santa Elena, which are right next to each other, like an hour inland from Belize City. And we stayed there for a couple nights, and we did like all the mainland things that you can do, like cave tubing, and they have this thing there called the ATM caves, which is like the, one of the top two things that you're supposed to do when you go to Belize, the other being the blue hole. Right. And... So ATM caves is, is stands for Octun Tunachil Maknal, which is the cave of the stone tomb. 
and it's a Mayan cave. They, I think, what is it? They were saying something like 850 BC or 850 AD. Wow, is about when they were actively going into these caves all the time. But yeah, you walk like literally 900 meters under Tapir Mountain. So a tapir, if you don't know what that is, it's like a giant anteater slash like hog, like jungle hog. It's jungle like a, hog. a mix okay. between the two. They're huge. They're like four to 600 pounds. They're okay. massive and they have like three toes. But yeah, that's what they look like. Weird. They're really nice. <laughs> but we saw yeah. some at the Belize Zoo. We went, it's just like a half an hour outside of Belize City. Cool. And like... Almost all the animals in the Belize Zoo are rescues, which is pretty cool. That like, is cool. Or like they have a jaguar in there who was hunting people's dogs. So <laughs> they decided to... Instead of killing it, they just put it in the zoo. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so yeah, you hike like 900 meters under this giant mountain. And it's one of the craziest things I've definitely ever done in my life. They give you tons of history on everything and you're submerged in water like... Right when you get to the mouth of the cave, you jump in and swim like 20 feet in like 12 feet of water. Wow. And then you climb up onto this huge piece of like limestone and you start walking into this cave. And so you're like submersed in water, probably like I'd say above your like to up to your waist about half the time and then up to your neck for like probably a total of, I don't know, 15 minutes. The whole thing is like four four hours long or something like cool. that. Yeah. And there were just these huge <clears throat> cathedral sized rooms of like stalagmites and stalactites and just like water formations and wow. cool, crazy curtain formations and quartz and sulfur and lots of different kinds of rock down there. And then even there were smoke stains on the ceilings of these like of the caves from where the Mayans had had their fires and stuff like that. Really? And, yeah. Wow. Apparently they used to go in there in between like, 700 and 900 AD, and they would crush up a bunch of morning glory seeds and some mushrooms, and some, and they'd smoke it in this leaf of a tree that we that's that grows on Tapir Mountain, and then they get super frigged up, and they had this like other sort of like booze concoction sort of thing that they would make, where they would also put in this like poison of this toad. And they realized if you took it by like orally, that if it went through your liver, it would just murk you. Yeah. And ruin people's livers. So our guide described it as they started to take it the other way. Boofing it? Yeah, they started boofing it. (laughs) And then they'd smoke this crazy morning glory blunt. Okay. And they'd just get super frigged up and they'd go into this cave. And I mean, like, I can't imagine how. I mean, I've had a very limited experience with psychedelics, but I can't imagine how trippy that would be. And not um, not just only like, I mean, we had flashlights with 9,000 lumens in them, like huge flashlights where you could see everything. I can't imagine how creepy and crazy it would be being led by a flame, which is like flickering and moving and right, you're right. in water up to your neck half the time and up to your waist the other half. I don't know. It's really crazy. Right. There's tons of like cultural remains in there. And then we saw, I think, four different human remains. Okay. The last one that you see when you get like to the very tippy top of where you can go in, in the cave is called the Crystal Maiden. And it's like famous for this thing. And it's like a full skeleton. Wow. And that's been preserved. And there's a few other skulls in there as well. 
but they have like holes in the heads of them. And now people are not allowed to bring cameras in here. You cannot bring a phone. You can't bring anything with you. Mm-hmm. And apparently that was because like two different people murked human remains from the Mayan period in these tunnels by trying to take a picture and dropping their camera on it. Oh, really? And That's breaking, why the, breaking uh, the bones. Yeah. Idiots. Yeah. And so they made a, a rule that you couldn't bring any cameras or phones into the caves anymore. And so it's like all you, I don't know, it's hard to find good pictures of what it actually looks like in there because it's not a thing anymore. But mm-hmm. even more interestingly, they're about to close it, I guess, because it's just getting too much wear and tear from having like two to 300 tour, like tourism guests coming in and out of the cave every single day. Right. And they do like 25 touring groups through it every single day. So yeah, it's one of the only cave systems in Belize that's open to the public. There's like over 300 of them. I think when I was in Guatemala, there was something similar. Like I was talking to you about the other day when we were out grabbing a drink, it wasn't as an extent as extensive as this cave, but it was kind of half submerged, the same thing. It only took maybe like an hour to get mm-hmm. to the end and back. Mm-hmm. So like a half hour each way. But they were talking about how good of timing it was as well that we went down there to see that because they're about to close it as well. Crazy. Because they're but it wasn't because of damage to the cave. It was because I think damage to the people because it's not so regulated. Really? Like people were slipping and like hurting themselves and they have to go in. To get them out, if you have like a broken bone or something like yeah, that, it's, that it's makes just sense. a pain in the I ass. mean, the ATM caves were super strenuous. Like we had people in our group that didn't make it the whole way right? to Likewise, the Crystal yeah, Maiden. Likewise. They just threw in the towel because it was exhausting. And everyone, I mean, you did come out of there with like some scrapes and bruises oh, and stuff sure. like that. Yeah. There was times when you'd almost have to put your head completely underwater to get under this rock and just like shimmy through oh, yeah, there was these a few two stalagmites and like up to the other side. It was kind of crazy. But yeah, it's, it's crazy you cool. talked about Guatemala because- When I mentioned before about the blue hole. So the blue hole is one of Belize's other huge attractions. And if you've not seen it, you should Google it. But I'm sure you have seen it in your life. And maybe you just didn't know what it was. Just this like 130 foot deep hole. Yep. And I didn't get to dive it. But the people that I was with went down there and said it was absolutely insane. It's just a, you go all the way to the bottom in like eight minutes and then the whole rest of it is just like a wall climb. You're just going up, looking at the, the coral and all the life on the wall, which okay. is really cool. But why are they closing anyway, it? they're not closing the blue hole. They are having debates right now with Guatemala, Belize and Guatemala over who owns it. Because oh. it is like two hours boat ride away from San Pedro Ambergris Key, mm-hmm. which is Belize. Right. So... It's sort of in between-ish Guatemala and Belize, and it's out in the middle of the ocean. So it right. isn't really like someone can claim, like lay claim to that right. necessarily, but it has always been Belize's. So sure. apparently now they're kind of freaked out in Belize because Guatemala is taking the ownership of the blue hole to the international like Supreme Court like huh. the world courts to debate the council that of ricks. <laughs> yeah. That it's supposed to belong to Guatemala because apparently I don't think a lot of people know this either. Belize is not Spanish speaking country. Yeah, technically it's number it's one English. English. Yeah. It's number one language is English. Everyone there I talked to pretty much minus maybe two people spoke great English and they also spoke Creole and they also spoke Spanish. So Creole is like a broken English, like Spanish like, mixture, sort of yeah. like Caribbean, very like Yaman sounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And that was really cool to listen to, actually. That is cool. But so it's it was a, an English colony, and it's still very much associated with England. All their currency has Queen Elizabeth II on it. And and their towns are named like Georgeville and shit like that. A lot of them. You know, we stayed on, we yeah. stayed on like San Pedro and right. San Ignacio and stuff like that. But a lot of the towns, there's tons and tons of uh, Protestant schools. The missionaries hit Belize hard. Really? There are tons of Catholic schools, tons of Protestant schools. And I don't even think you can go to a school that isn't like a religious affiliation. I certainly didn't see any while we were there. So that was kind of crazy. But yeah, so anyway, Guatemala is taking it to like the world court to say, hey, 200 years ago when England laid claim to Belize, they promised us that they would give us the blue hole. And so that that's what they're trying to they're claim trying to was going on back. and they're trying to get it back, which would be a kind That'd of huge, huge shot to Belize's for their tourism. tourism economy because they're just getting kind of going. I mean, they just got, yeah. they were just telling us they just got their first direct flight from Minneapolis to Belize in December. Really? Yeah. So that's like the first huh. time since December that you can actually just fly like directly to Belize. And that's like happening at lots of the big airports in the U.S. right now. So it's been really good for them. And you can tell when you talk to them, they're like stoked on it. They sure. like how it's stimulating the economy. Yeah. So anyway, it would be pretty crazy if that would just not crazy. be theirs anymore. And I didn't know you could just do that. Just be like, hey, I'm going to take you to the international Police. property court. <laughs> be like, this little area of the ocean is mine. Yeah, who knows? But, you know, anyway. Anyway, well, it sounds like you had a good time. That's cool. It was really cool, yeah. We went scuba Welcome diving and back. some caves and, and crap, and I got sunburnt, and now I'm just at the itchy stage because I'm peeling a little bit. And it's we're like eight inches deep of snow now. Yeah, and literally. It's quite the quite the change here. But I'm very tan, everyone, okay? Just picture me being tan and Pat being very pale. I'm always pale, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, that's cool. Speaking of other places around the world... Have you heard of this place called Elephant World? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, it's a place where elephants go to retire. I saw it on a little, like, clip on social media the other day. Retire from what? In being incarcerated? Like, I, I, they, like, capture. Or they, like, basically? Yeah. You know, they might, the, the, they might be using elephants to move stuff mm. or something like that. And people go and rescue these elephants and they bring them to Elephant World. And then there's this nice old guy who goes there and with the help of the villagers, they drive like an upright piano out to Elephant World. And this guy sits there and plays classical music for them. And the elephants love it. That's fantastic. It's awesome. Do they paint to it? No, but they sit there and they like they like will dance to it. That is so it's awesome. Amazing. Watch the video. Everybody go check it out. Elephant <laughs> World. It's That's really funny. It's so cool. It's so cool. Oh my gosh. Like I think manatees are the elephant of the ocean. Yeah. They you are. Know? Yeah. <laughs> Actually they call them sea cows. Sea cows. They call them like the cow of the ocean. Yeah. Seems about it's right. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Cuz they're and they Oh dude, we got to go. I didn't mention this. We got to go spear fishing. Oh, really? Yeah, which I was very bad at. But it was very fun. Fun. (laughs) It's hard. They had two different kinds of things. They had like the gun, like the actual spearfishing gun, and then they had like your old school, like three prong manual spear sort of thing. But it's different because you have to like. It's different from how where the fish looks versus where it is, right? Because of the way that the the light refracts. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that that was really an issue. It was just like we were in like probably ten to twelve feet of water, and. 
the manual one, like it has this bungee on the end of it. So you grab that bungee loop with your thumb and then you pull your arm down. Like you grab on to the lowest point of the pole that you can while creating that tension Yeah. with the bungee. And then you point it with your left hand and let go and it springs like okay. a slingshot. So like sort of. almost. Yeah, exactly. Kind sense. of, yeah. And the manual one was kind of hard. The gun one's really hard to load, but it was really crazy. And they only let like five or six people from the tour go out to try to spearfish. And the hardest part for me was just like getting yourself turned upside down to go down and like spear them because you're naturally inhaling so that you can hold your breath underwater, which turns you into a human balloon. And then like against what is everything that is natural in the world, you're trying yeah. to go down yeah. <laughs> into water. And it just... It Did was, anybody get any, get any Yeah, fish? David got two right off the bat. Really? Um, yeah, it was not enough to feed our family, but uh. no. <laughs> <laughs> I saw people get a few. I think they, they got like six or seven of them before we yeah. got back on the boat. But it was just really cool to try it. That is actually. cool. We're going to get into some more topics here. We were talking earlier about how I saw this podcast early, like last week, and these two guys were arguing over who was the hotter 90s babe, Topanga or Kelly Kapowski, but I thought you should have thrown in the youngest daughter from Step by Step, Alicia Lambert, I guess is her name. Oh my God. And she got older because she's a total babe. She might even, she might even be the hottest of the three. So right now we're talking about Kelly Kapowski, Topanga, and Alicia Lambert from Al Step by Step. Okay, if we're going to talk about them, we need to bring in all the other women of that era into this equation, okay? okay. So we're talking... First of all, Candace Cameron. No. Who's hot now. Is she? Mm, I mean, she's a MILF. Okay. And okay, weird fun fact of that time, she and Kurt Cameron are siblings. He was the star of Growing, Growing Pains. Pains. Right. So anyway, and then we have Stephanie Tanner, who became think, a meth head though. Yeah, I don't think any anybody on Full House was hot. Like I like Okay, like I but said, I'm just talking about the girls that were okay. of this era. I don't think that they were like the babes, the, Olsen the Kelly twins. Kapowski. But let's talk about a babe here. Jessica Beale. Yep. Seventh heaven. She probably wins. She takes the cake. She does take the cake. She does take the cake. Her new TV show, The Sinner, is crazy. Is it? If you get a chance to watch it, go peep it. I will. But yeah, she is so hot and still so hot. I mean, I think she has aged better than any of the people you're talking about right now. I agree. We have to bring Jessica Beale into this. We do. So I don't know, but argue I, amongst yourselves. What about this? And let us know, you guys. Of all the 90s sitcoms, babes, maybe John Stamos. Was the hottest <laughs> one on Full House. <laughs> Definitely. You know what? Rebecca was hot, too. I'm just going to say Actually, she that. was. She was hot. I bet she still is. I bet she still is. I bet Rebecca, she still I bet you're hot. You want to know a funny uh, thing about her? Yes, I do. The body of Mystique in the first X-Men that Mystique was featured in is actually Rebecca. No way. Yes way. Wow. Yeah. So, so there you go, everybody. Hot. She's still hot. <laughs> and somehow relevant in a blue-skinned alien mutant sort of way. I love it. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. And okay. also, it's just weird to think about now that we're talking about that, that Jennifer Lawrence was the first like human body to be casted as Mystique. She was like not a big deal and nor was she super hot yet. She was. You're yeah. right. I totally uh -huh. forgot about that. And then also let's talk about more X-Men shit. Okay. The girl who played Rogue yeah. is the girl from True Blood. The blonde chick. 
I never watched the Southern Blood. accent. I never watched it. Okay. But well, all of the. I'm still I hope excited that about somebody's it. out there freaking out about this. I'm still excited. I'm, yeah, I'm excited, <laughs> and I don't even understand. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Anyway. Uh, okay, let's move on mm-hmm. to the big game this past weekend. Did you watch? The big game. Oh my god! You mean did I see Adam Levine? Is yeah. that what we're going to talk about? <laughs> did you see all of his uh, flash paper? His flash paper tattoos. He looks like a piece of silly putty that got peeled <laughs> off the newspaper. He looks like a Chipotle bag. <laughs> <laughs> Are we just going to rehash all the great memes we saw here? We could no, but let's move on to a more important halftime show. That okay. uh, virtual Fortnite marshmallow concert. Okay, that is that's pretty cool. Cool. Right? I don't care your feelings about marshmallow. Or about Fortnite. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can't deny that that's like making waves and is right. revolutionary to the scene. Right. Also, at the same time, in a Wally sort of way, it's very scary. I mean, people are sort of projecting that at any given moment in the next like five years, you'll just be able to literally digitally, you know, Go VR yourself yeah. into any music festival on the planet. Right. And, and that's kind of weird. I was thinking about this this morning when I woke up about this, talking about this topic. Because we actually talked about this. If you guys go back and listen to our episode with Sodown and ja- and Zach Chazen, I was going to call him Jack Sazen, but <laughs> Zach Chazen was talking about this and how this is going to happen. And I think this is dipping our toes in the water of this. You know what I mean? Because they have those 360 cameras now. So basically, you could just pay a a cheaper ticket price, let's say, if you got kids or you can't make it to Florida or wherever, whatever show you want to see, whatever uh, festival, just pay like a little entrance fee and you can go get like five hours of VR time and just kind of clock in whenever you want and see whoever you want at whatever festival, right? Pretty cool. Might destroy festivals, might destroy the attendance. I don't know. We shall see. But I guess it was pretty cool because what I, I heard how it happened is People at this like Fortnite and some, I don't play Fortnite, but I guess they were all in like some game. And with like two minutes before this happening, they, the moderators took away everybody's weapons so you couldn't kill each other at the concert, which is nice. We don't want that happening. And people just went to the stage and it was like a live feed. Marshmallow was DJing live and he had a microphone and he was able to talk to the people. I guess it was really corny general DJ stuff like, Mm -hmm. hey, put your hands up. Uh, Hey, (laughs) stuff like that. But it lasted for about 10 minutes, and then it just stopped. That's pretty cool. That's crazy. I don't even know what to think about that. No nipples, I guess. No nipples. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the real halftime show. Oh. And seeing nipples. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. God forbid. Poor Janet. Yeah. All right. Uh, (laughs) And the last topic we want to talk about today before we get into our very special guest, which we're super stoked for. Wait, hold on. I did want to talk about this really quick. I I just thought, thought of this. Yeah, that's super crazy that they're doing VR-ish festivals, essentially, or we're, like, moving in that direction, I guess. But it is, like, I guess it's not as, when I think about it, this concept isn't as revolutionary as I I would think that it is. It is in the fact that it was a video game, and I think that's happened before. They've I know they've had, like, mini probably. festivals yeah, in the probably. games, in these, like, online games before and stuff, but there used to be this website uh, that was really popular called turntable.fm. Oh, and I remember it was that. this really yeah. cool website where, yeah, yeah they would had, have D- did, these awesome DJs come <laughs> I play. I did my own DJ set on that. Really? Like when it first started, you could just like 
be a user and go and see if anybody came to your room. Exactly. Nobody came to my room. Exactly. Yeah. But you could go. I remember, I think I watched either above and beyond or tritonal one time. Really? Yeah. And like it, it when you pop into the chat, it would show you as like a little person, like yep. standing in front of this fake stage and you would listen to a live stream of a live DJ set. And it was a really cool, cool idea. I actually did yeah. a DJ set on behalf of, I think a blog or something that really at one point. Yeah. But Turntable.fm. Does that, that still a, exist? No, it doesn't anymore. And I was wow, just, uh, I think that was just so ahead of its time. It really was. I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if more services start coming up that are just like that. I mean, that. I remember when that I was in college. That's how old that is. Yeah. When that website launched, and I like thought mm-hmm. it was a cool concept. And it was like right when it came out, I jumped on it, and I was like, wait. I I'm surprised it doesn't exist anymore. It seems like it'd be something people definitely want. But right. Whatever, anyway. like I said, I bet we'll see a resurgence of that, especially now that pretty much the same thing is happening again with like a more advanced visual element. Right, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, okay, crazy so stuff. Moving on to, I guess, maybe one of our inspirations for why we do this podcast. I mean, I that's a I weird say, way to say that, but probably the, one of the first podcasts me and Pat got ever got into, obsessed with together. We were on, we were on tour, tour. Yeah. And we listened to this podcast called Serial. About yes. this guy named uh, Adnan Syed. Yeah. And it was... Very captivating. Yeah. And there's other seasons of it. I believe one or two more now, but they're not the same story as the, the original season. So if you get... If you're bored and you want more podcasts to listen to and you already listened to all 31 of ours, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you could go listen to a serial. It's really good. I would say it's the podcast version of Making a Murderer. If you yeah. if that kind of stuff or um, like the intrigues night of, you, the yeah, the night, the night of, of. Yeah. it's it's very very interesting, and the case is still going on right now. But mm-hmm. I just saw recently that HBO has decided to pick it up, and weirdly HBO is who did the night of. Yeah. and I felt like that was like practically based thought, on. Yeah, exactly. That's um, when I Adnan watched Syed's when case, I watched but, the night of. I was thinking. Oh, this is just basically the same story, tweaked a few details, essentially and gave it a gave yeah. it closure. So they're doing a docu series, not a biopic. Which yeah, it's a four if part. It was about it. If the night of was about a non it would be, be considered a biopic, I suppose, but not right. really. Whatever. Anyway, they're doing a docu series on. I think it's non four parts. And yeah, I assume it will be insane and very much like how addicting the jinx was, which is another series that another limited series that HBO put out. That was a six part series about Robert Durst mm-hmm. and he was a freaking creep. You know, I don't know where I stand when it comes to the Adnan Syed case. So it'll be interesting to watch this and see what's developed since we listened to the podcast like two years ago. But yeah, I like to be an optimist. So for anybody who's listened to serial, I like to be an optimist and I like to think he's innocent and I think there's one piece of that whole podcast that they never went back to that was always driving me nuts. I think so too. But that weird phone call, that weird anonymous phone call that they got, and they couldn't trace I, it. Don't don't bring oh, it up. What oh, are you doing? I don't know. It's there's that one piece. I don't know. Anyway, it sounds like go check out the trailer for the for this docu series. I think it's going to be bananas. Yeah, I'm and go listen to the. The podcast. If you're into that type of stuff. The woman who does it, she does a great Great. job and it only gets better as the season goes on, honestly. And also her voice is like super soothing. So even though she's talking about murder, it's really soothing. We we also listen to this podcast a lot called Criminal when we're on tour. That's a good one. Which if you're bored, you should check out as well. But it's every episode is about different stuff. And Phoebe Judge is the host of that. 
Okay. I don't want to even go into how can, her voice doesn't make me feel the same as the chick from Serial. But right. anyway, go listen to Serial. Go listen to Criminal. They're both awesome podcasts shit, if you're bored. Shit Town's also a good one. Yeah, that one, S-Town. S-Town, S-Town or Shit Town. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So we got to go uh, because we got to go interview our, our very special guest today. Seriously, and, well, probably one of the most prestigious guests we've had so far in yep. terms of his accolades and things he's accomplished. And one of the nicest people I've ever met. He used to go by Revolver. He now goes by Kaztec. So he's been very successful, multiple genres, under multiple monikers, continues to be successful. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah. All of his it, stuff is just fucking banging. It is. And yeah. he masters some of my stuff for me as well. And without him, I would not sound good at all. Here we go. Kaztec, how's it going? Our first guest tonight is... Introducing special guests. Let's do this. We're listening to Green Room Podcast. Hey, what's up? It's Castech, and you're listening to the Green Room Podcast. hanging out with us today you guys he is a killer i mean i came to know him as a house producer but he was doing stuff long before that so do you want to talk a little bit about yourself man uh i don't like talking about myself too much but sure (laughs) you came to the wrong place (laughs) oh man uh well what do you want to learn about yeah my my Um, cast deck or do you want to learn about the little a little chapter behind that yeah let's talk about revolver first i suppose Revolver. Well, I, I actually uh, I kind of hid that for a good couple years before I revealed that I was Revolver. A few reasons why. 
for the most part, I really wanted to create uh, music with a new paintbrush, per se, uh, without people really knowing that it was, you know, oh, it's Revolver's new project, or it's this, or it's mm-hmm. that, you know, because I, you know, had a pretty big following and uh, in, in the industry, and I, I really wanted to see how my the music in a pure form reflects without people, you know, knowing who the producer was, whether, you know, it was someone that I was experienced or whatnot. And there are other reasons why I, you know, behind the the name change. And I I don't want to get too into it. I've gotten into it before and I I really don't want to like keep on repeating it, but it was just a, it was a matter of some stuff with the back end of things from a management perspective. And, uh, Long story short, I kind of uh, my manager found he decided to change his career path at the time, and I got locked into a contract with the management company, and then I no longer became a priority amongst the other uh, the roster because my oh, founding yeah, manager yeah. was the one that cared. Yeah, he was the one that was like had me priority, and it was it was a weird thing, and so that kind of happened. And then, uh, and then I sort of lost my direction for some reason. And cause he was a really big part of just my growth and, you know, a lot can happen in a year when, uh, you, you know, you don't, you don't create, uh, especially the, you don't create the way you want to. And, some things I, I kind of like fell into a, a, a little bit of like a, a creative hole. And uh, then I started to like wonder, Oh yeah, I need to, maybe I should just make this style. Maybe I should just make this. Maybe I should make stuff that's on the radio. And people actually started getting my, in my ear. And then I completely lost myself and I was like, Oh man. Okay. And then, right. uh, so from there I was like, well, I guess what I want to do now is just, create something new uh, that's not in a contract and just start working on that. And that's what I did. And then I started releasing music under that. So there's like a a dual, it was a, it was like a dual purpose behind like, you know, changing my name and not not really saying anything about my identity. So that happened. And then, uh, you know, cast tech is a, derivative of my family name on my Polish side. So it's my Polish family name is Krastek. And so what I did right. just uh, drop the R and uh, it's, it's Kastek and it is a, it's on my mom's side and it's a, it's just sort of a, a, a reminder to always stay true to myself because what I ended up doing was just not, I stopped giving all fucks about what anyone thought that I should make or what, you know, what I think that people wanted to hear. And I just make what comes from the heart and comes from within me. And so I just started doing that and the creative, my creative juices started flowing again. And, you know, some of the stuff that I was making, I even impressed myself. I was like, wow, this is cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's always nice when that happens. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, that's sort of the, uh, the quick backstory. Cool, oh man. yeah, no, it's really hard to get. It's really easy, I guess, actually, to get lost in like the opinion of what everybody around you is saying, and it's also relative 
too. Their personal tastes, and it's hard to take that into account. And so mm-hmm. I don't know. So many grains of salt, mm-hmm. and then I get salty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think it's uh, you know there are a lot of there there are artists that they all they all they want is to just express themselves. But there are uh, you know there are some people in the music industry that all they care about is what's hot on the radio right now and what people right. want to hear and this and that. And I don't really fall. I've discovered that I don't fall into that category. What I fall That's into good. is, you know, creating what I want to create and the outcome of that, which is a really awesome byproduct to have is people following that. Like I get messages all the time and they're like, dude, check out this song. You totally inspire me. I want to like, I I've made this song because of your other song and I've never heard anything like it before. And you know, uh, it's almost like I am setting my own trend and always setting my own trend because I have no one to follow. I don't care about that. So what what happens when you get that out of your mind creatively is that you end up, you know, letting yourself inspire you. Obviously, obviously I let different genres of music inspire me from growing up. That's, that's, that's how we all are. That's, that's, that's the beauty of music. That's the beauty of art is to be, always be inspired by, you know, the artist of the past or maybe present and then translated the way that your mind manifests it. Yeah, absolutely. I just, uh, I actually just read an interesting thing. I get this uh, email every every week from this guy. I don't even know how I stumbled across it, but he always has really good insights in it. And he just literally talked about this exact same thing about like a week ago. And it was about how you as like an artist, as like a developing artist, it's primarily geared for developing artists. And it's like, you're always trying to chase the sound that you think people like, right? Uh, And in doing that and constantly having that mindset, you'll never be satisfied because you're, because the way that, you know, music and tastes are always changing and with what's popular. So you can't really perfect that sound, but what you should be doing is doing that and finding yourself in the process and your own sound in the process. And I think that's kind of relates a lot to what you just were saying. hundred percent. I agree with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way to go about doing it because if you are a, a producer or a music maker or an artist of some kind and you're, you don't really have, your own style, you're just chasing other people's styles or other things that other people made popular, then I I don't know. I feel like a, it's not very satisfying for yourself and B it just kind of is very, um, there's not much depth to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to close yourself off to inspiration because you know, there's a, there's a balance of that. And, I think that, yeah, I think mentally, if you're, especially if you're starting out, you sometimes you don't know what, where you want to go. You don't know what direction you want to take. So, I mean, I, I've had a very long path in discovering my kind of, uh, my, my style or my DNA. Everyone has a DNA of production and I, that's how I feel. If, so if I, if I wanted to make hip hop, if I wanted to make, you know, a different, genre, I will always still have my DNA of production because now I found it. But some people, when they are learning, they're still trying to find that. And I, I a hundred percent and still encourage that they let other, you know, pieces of music still uh, inspire them or, or guide them. Because I mean, plenty of times where I, 
you know, put down a song. If I, if there's a song that inspired me, I will reverse engineer the shit out of it. And, but well, I won't, I won't try to copy it, but I will mimic it and then learn from that and then translate that into my own machine. Totally. I was going to bring up something like that, that I feel like that is a great tool for if you're having writer's block is to go find something that you really dig and Mm -hmm. try to remake Mm -hmm. it. And you totally will just like spawn completely new ideas, just like learning how to recreate what you were like doing in the first place. But yeah, it doesn't have to be this thing where you're just copying someone else's work. It's, it's a a great tool to get you out of writer's block. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Another one, another thing that I kind of like, uh, to try to do once in a while is if you do have writer's block and I, I approach it more from like a songwriter's perspective from like when I used to try to write songs on guitar, right. For bands and stuff like that is to try mm-hmm. to write a song in a genre completely different than what you're going for. Like totally. uh, we were doing, we were very kind of like indie rock kind of funky indie rock type stuff. And I would sit down and try to write a song, like a metal song. I would never do that. But in, within trying that I came up with a bunch of really shitty songs but it just in the back of my brain then kind of opened up what I wanted to do for what I'm actually trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, it, it, you, it, you come, you almost, uh, that different approach opens up new channels in your brain too. There mm-hmm. are times where I've actually turned up a project into a German bass tempo and then mm-hmm. started messing with the vocals mm-hmm. and coming up with hook lines and, uh, all these things, and and that really sounded cool to me. And then what I did was that I slowed him down to my usual tempo, 125. That's so funny you say that because awesome. my friend Ghost and Channels was like, just telling me to do that. Oh really? Yeah. And then and then and then and when you slow it down, you, you come you hear these things. You're like, oh man, I didn't think of that. That's a really cool idea. Or you know, it sounds the syncopation of this vocal sounds cool. This song this way, I didn't think about doing that. So mm-hmm. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we were just talking about this the other day about this is sort of shooting off in a tangent, but I guess it sort of has to do with writer's block in that I was talking with Pat about how people can pour over like the certain sound design on something like that. And I've been reading this book called Essentialism lately. And one of the cool things that I think I've really pulled from that is to not just pour over things that aren't essentials in the song. And like the way, the best way that they kind of tell you to do this is to think of it, I mean, and to think of your whole life like this, but um, sort of how that the tidying up thing with Marie Kondo is so popular right now. And it's sort of like thinking about the decisions you're making in your life, be it like your actual life or just, you know, making music, choosing samples, et cetera, and, and learning what things to weed out and what things to get rid of that aren't essential to you. And the question to ask yourself is, or basically the the motto to have is if the answer is not a hundred percent yes, then it's no. And instead of trying to make something work that maybe doesn't sit right and just sitting there like for hours trying to, and Pat was saying he does this sometimes, you know, I do it all the time. Just go on to the next sort of thing. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. I think there's a whole art in going and taking out, right. In in a way, I guess you would say uncreating because, you know, you can create and create and create and you can stack all of these ideas, but then you're left with a whole bunch of decisions to make and you're like, ah, and I think that is a whole separate art in itself. That is a learning curve that a lot of artists, that's actually a really big tip to a lot of artists. It's something that I've learned is 
is making those decisions of saying, no, nope, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Take it out, throw it out. You know, it's almost that, that image of that, you know, um, this, you're just this writer and you're crumpling up paper and you're just throwing it behind you at the trash can. Nope. Out. Get this. No, this is not good. This is not good. And just, you know, cycling through and to find the, the right idea. The us as music producers, the best music producers are the best decision makers. They're the best at making critical decisions. That's really what it drills down to is when you're in a project is you, I mean, that's all it is. You're just making decisions, right? Yes. Yes. No, no, this works. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. Okay. Sometimes I'll just jam and jam. And what's that, that entire session is a string of no's until I find that one. Yes. That I want to keep. Totally. I, find, I find often that it's not about the pieces I'm using. It's about the space between them and the learning Absolutely. where is appropriate for that space. It's, I related a lot to, I mean, I went to college for graphic design. I had to take lots of fine arts class. I've been drawing my whole life and learning in a visual way, how to create compositions, having like an amount of the right amount of space throughout your drawing is so important to the overall composition of everything. And I think there's just so much to be said for creating space in a piece. People often think of, wow, this doesn't sound right. What is it missing? Maybe it's not missing something. Maybe there's too much. Right. right. I agree something with that. to yeah. think about. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like you, what you guys are talking about, this is, I'm, I'm loving this because this is a struggle for me. I'm trying to start making some of my own music and I really, really struggle because I'll get too caught up on like a baseline, right? Uh, and I'm, I'm like, is this the right note? This patch kind of sucks. And I'll sit there and I, I'll work on it for like two hours until my my ears are just so fatigued. And really, I'm just wasting my time because if I'm working that hard on it, it sh- I should probably just delete it and start over. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah, that, I, I've, I've done that many times. Trust me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I feel like everybody has, but it's like this is a, a learning process that I'm trying to um, absorb or like a, an approach that I'm trying to absorb and get better at because I'll spend too much time on this fine detail instead of just writing a, writing totally. a song, you know? And it's a lot Tension. about like asking yourself the right questions when you are doing that. Um, in the Essentialism book, he talks about how like if you're going through your closet, for example, it's full of a bunch yeah. of shit that you know you need to get rid of. Asking yourself, will I ever wear this in the near future is a horrible question to ask and a great way to never get anything taken care of. The real question you want to ask is, do I absolutely love this thing? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then get fucking rid of it. Yep. I think that's super I applicable it. When, I, when it comes to making music. Yep. Which is funny because yeah, that's actually how I treat my closet now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I Harry lo- Kondo would I, be proud I of love- you. I love purging in real life. I just do. I, my life is simple. If I'm like, I, if I'm just like cleaning my room, I'm like, what is this? Do I need this shit? What is this? Where did this come from? Get out of here. Like you're, you're cluttering my life, you know? And yep. I'm like, Oh wait, that's what I do when I write, I write music too. What, yeah, is, that? What's this cow, what is this cowbell? Cowbell, you don't belong here right now. Come back. Later. I think it's a habit. I think it's a, a habit that you have to learn to form and learn to like create this pattern in your mind of asking yourself the right questions to be able to make the correct decision. And I think yeah. like that there it isn't specific to music and it isn't specific to your closet. Right. It can be applied to literally anything in your entire life. It's like right. uh, it, I think he, human nature is to kind of collect things and sure. uh, 
you know, keep keep a, a long list of things Are that you have. Are you a quarter, ha- Pat? Is that no, what I just think us? it's, I, no, I, I don't go that far. I don't go that far, but I think, I think that's definitely part of human nature is like to have, to save on, to, to save something, whether it be for like um, nostalgic purposes or this or that, but you really don't need it. You just, I, I know this as somebody who moves a lot, like once a year, <laughs> it's like, God, this sucks. Why do I have so much shit that I have to move and get rid of half the stuff that you, that you have? Do you need to go through your closet, Pat? I do. I really do, you here. guys. And right. it's like, I think about that Forrest Gump, <laughs> that Forrest Gump quote when he, uh, he's like, one less thing, you know? Hey, one less thing. One less thing, yeah. <laughs> one less thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Anyway, so what exciting things do you have coming up? I know there's probably 9,000 of them. There's, uh, yeah, there's quite a bit. I've got a string of uh, uh, pretty cool releases that I'm working on right now. One release with Confession, which is a pretty reputable label owned by Chami. Uh, I've been working. Wow. Congrats. Yeah, been, thanks. Yeah, I, I've been, those guys are awesome. And uh, I think I'm the only guy on there that's not French. I think, may, wait, man, yeah, maybe besides oh, really? Billy <laughs> Well, praise be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, they're, they're awesome. I have some releases that I'm working with, uh, with Martin Garrix's label, Stamped. He has been a huge supporter in the past year. He came to watch me play at EDC, which is the craziest thing that has ever happened to me. I I, I couldn't believe it, and I'm that's not sure the craziest you guys... thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, I'm just listening to the story. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, last year I played at EDC, and I actually was just I was playing on a, on an art car, and I mean it was a one of the coolest art cars ever, Calliope. And I love that. I love that art car. I played on it a few times. And uh, yeah, I literally 15 minutes into my set, my manager like hits me and he's like, dude, dude, Martin Garrix is behind you. And I'm like, what? And I turn around <laughs> and he's there and he is having the time of his life. And it was just so surreal because everyone on, on, on the top of the art card, they just like froze. And he, the, here he is. And he just like, I see him and he just jump comes up to me and gives me the biggest hug. And I'm just a deer in headlights. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And, he, <laughs> and, and I just keep going. And uh, yeah, and he like starts Instagramming me and like posting that, posting this and, uh, and he's with his bodyguard, and he's there for my whole set. And wow. uh, yeah, it's crazy. And then he ends up towards the end of the set, he ends up leaving. But instead of leaving, he actually ended up going down to the dance floor with his bodyguard watching him, and he's just dancing around. And barely anyone in the crowd is noticing this. Maybe a couple people, and then they start freaking out, and then he just disappears. Um, <laughs> And then after a half an hour after the end of my set, my manager gets an email from his team literally half an hour after. And they were like, Martin loves cast sex sound. Like, would you guys be open to meeting up and talking about some stuff? Blah, blah, blah. blah. So it, yeah, it happened so quick. I mean, it happened so quick that by the time I got back to the artist area at EDC, some of my friends were like, dude, that's awesome. Congrats. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, didn't you hear like Martin Garrett? He like wants to he like sign you to his label, and uh, yeah, it was it's, it's, it's funny crazy, when people so. know shit before you. I mean, 
I know, right? I feel yeah. like that happens so, like more often than not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and he he's it was so it was so cool to see someone literally probably the one of the most famous DJs in this world just he saw that I was playing and he made it a point to come see me. I mean, he's headlining EDC, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it was it's just a, such a it was such a humbling thing and his team even said they're like, "Dude, he doesn't he doesn't do this." He really likes your stuff. And he's a really big supporter. He's been so cool. And last year, he reached out and uh, he asked me to play his closing party in Ibiza with him. And that became like a whole Euro trip for me. And uh, it was such a cool experience. And and now I I just announced that I'm playing Ultra Music Festival. And I'm going to be playing with him. They're giving him his whole stage for, uh, for his label. Yeah, man. Congratulations. Thanks. You just hit the two biggest nails on the head in the U S I mean, EDC and ultra. Yeah. That's badass. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So he's yeah. been a huge supporter. So we've been working with his label pretty closely. Um, you know, even though what he makes, uh, is a little bit different than what, you know, my style is, it doesn't matter. He is just a huge supporter in that. And, and I think he really just wants to help back that. I think that's awesome label. though. I really don't, you know? I think that's a big problem that a lot of artist run labels run into is that they're, I mean, that's a big reason why, why I feel like people kind of get frustrated with them. Um, what is excision's label name? Um, I don't want to, oh, uh, I, I always uh, want to say firepower, geez, Rotten, but it's not, it's no, not firepower. Yeah. That's Dasics. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. Why the fuck can I think of this right now? Okay, anyway, Excision's label, he's constantly being ridiculed sort of for using it basically as an as a place for people to submit music for him to be able to play live. And a lot of it sounds, you know, exactly like Excision. And so people have no idea that he's even playing anybody else's music half the time. And they're not right. giving any real A&R or any, like, artist boost to these people that they're signing because, you know, like, the label industry is not as such anymore where... They, where often people are being like super supported by the label, like you're saying right now, you know, genuinely, genuinely, or she's right. generally speaking, I feel like labels these days, a lot of them, especially artist run ones, they don't give a shit about the artists that are on there because they're the artist, you know, and yeah, they just like want to have that it's a repertoire for, the, for exactly. their own material or so, their yes. own sets or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. I think it's really cool to be, to be signing music to your label that you just think is dope and that isn't anything like what you're making. That's sort of the point is to be a tastemaker and not to just regurgitate a billion people that make your exact mm -hmm. kind of music already. And mm -hmm. yep. yeah. we could think Absolutely. of a lot of and labels that do doing. exactly that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's and what that's he's doing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's other artists that are on that label that make future bass and like all these other different styles. And I think that's what they're that's what they're doing. They're just tastemaking and representing you know, a quality of music that is, that he resonates with and that That's he awesome. supports and, wa That's and wants great. to give it a chance to uh, give it a spotlight to put on a platform that he's capable of, which is really cool. That's super cool. And we just had a, last week, our guest was uh, Jesse Breda from Gravitas. And that's why I think we re all really like mm -hmm. Gravitas as well, because there's no real uh, sound for them. You know, it's not like all a bunch of people that make the same style of well, music. See, exactly. It's such a, that's what I'm saying about artist-run mm -hmm. labels is that Gravitas isn't really an oh, artist-run yeah. label. I mean, John helps, but Jesse yeah. is, you know, one of the main 
A&Rs for that. And I mean, John is as well. But again, John isn't preoccupied, just like we talked about. We'll talk about about his new album. He's not preoccupied with a genre by any means. And, right. and I think it's really cool to see Martin Garrix doing something like that, because the only other places that are doing things like that are places like Monster Cat and Audiophile and like the big wigs who aren't artist mm-hmm. run. And they right. are expanding over right. all these different genres and stuff like that. But it's cool. He doesn't yeah, have absolutely. to go toot his own horn. Right. And congrats mm-hmm. to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. So yeah, those are some things that, you know, I've got working. Uh, I also have uh, a couple of things that I might be working with at Atlantic records, which it's could be a big thing as well, but that's just that's very exciting pipeline back end. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Exciting stuff. Cool. Big things. And I came to get funky homie. <laughs> well, yeah. So that, Oh yeah. Duh. I, I am releasing a, a, a VIP. I, I sent it to you the other day that I've held. I, I've been playing that ever for the last year or so. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, now it's time for everyone to have it. And so that it's the release is happening next week. And we're also wrapping my, my next tour around it. So it's the came to get funky tour just because awesome. I mean, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun song. It is. It's super tight. That song right. was, was huge for you. And actually um, yeah. we've had defunk on in the past few episodes here. And he did a sick-ass remix of that, too. Yes, he did. He crushed it. Yes. Well, I'm excited to hear the... Well, I actually heard it, but I'm sure everyone's excited to hear the VIP. Yeah, I am. Yes, yes. 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 You also sent me some other fuego, so I know you just have like a bunch of shit happening right now that's slapping. Yeah. Uh, speaking of just yeah. stuff that are stuff that's slapping, can you? Uh, <laughs> Could you have sounded more white right there, please? <laughs> Holy shit! Hey, stuff uh, that's slapping. Speaking of things that are slapping. Speaking of things that are slapping, we are out here and the. Anyway, no. Let us uh, let us in on some of the secrets of your mastering chain. <laughs> oh whoa, yeah! Whoa! 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 Right. Whoa! whoa, whoa. We just met. This Jesus. is our. This yeah. is our. Yeah, this is our first Sorry, phone call right now. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Hey. If you can, that is. Well, uh, I I have been doing more of my own mastering. I used to use a, an outside engineer, um, this guy, uh, Dan, from my sick music. He's amazing. He's in London. And, you know, I, I'll use him occasionally. Some, sometimes it's nice to use someone outside of yourself for mental purposes. Because when when you are in control of your own mastering – sometimes it becomes a wormhole right? because I make it, I make a change and I have the ability to ma- like to master it. So I'm like, oh, okay, there's one more change. Oh, I need to make it one more change. When I'm giving it to an engineer, then it's like, I'm, it's marked done, you know, yeah. like, and also a lot of elitists like, will say like, it's not right. good to master your own track. Your ears are tired. You're not going to hear it the same way. La la la. Right. It's, it's, it's also high. It's, it's nice to have a, an outside perspective too, mm-hmm. but from psycho, from a psychological standpoint, I mean, I mean, Megan, like you as well, you gave it to me and it's like done. You can't go <laughs> yeah. back. It's done. You know what I mean? I mean, you could right. p- potentially, but when it's in your own hands, I, it, it ends up becoming this, I, I've spent more time tweaking my masters than I have actually producing the track. That's what it ends up being. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I, you know, I have been mastering my own, you know, tracks, uh, and I've been very happy with it. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to explain every single part of my master chain, but it's, it's a good amount of game staging, uh, 
carefully. I use I use a combination of the Waves Suite, and sure. I also use a little bit of Ozone sure. and uh, Ozone Eight, uh, and then uh, spliced into that into the mix is uh, a lot of my U- uh, UAD stuff because uh, I have an Apollo Universal oh, yeah. Audio, mm-hmm. and it's been amazing uh, having something that can emulate just these really good hardware compressors and have, have that load taken off of your computer just because, you know, I have my, my, my studio computer, but it can only handle so much in a project. I think uh, one of the nice things about have, uh, having your own mastering chain too, is that sometimes I actually master in the same box, the same project that I'm writing. So that way I get, I don't have it on the whole time. I actually have like a very, very, simple i call it a simple master which is just a, a little bit of a compression a little bit of a limiter and it, and i get a little bit of a preview of it before running it through my whole chain where it gets just pushed right and that way it's it's saving a lot of cpu yeah for the most part it's ozone and uad cool awesome That's yeah fine. i have an apollo as well the apollo twin and i'm still kind of just poking around in all the things that it came with. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it, there's a lot. One of the one of the best things I would probably look at is the API 2500. That's a very key piece in my chain and it's it really just warms up that mix. Um, and then uh, the Shadow Hills is something good to look at. It's that's good for like bass music and stuff that has high, high dynamics. And awesome. then, uh, what is the other one? Jeez. What do you it's use for your EQ? Have you ever used Soothe? Do you use something to that effect? Or do you just... I've heard of Soothe. Uh, mostly for the EQ stuff. everybody blabbing about how much they love that. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I've heard of it. Uh, I, you know, I, I, have, I love Ableton. I, and I love to use some of the, the native Ableton plugs that come with it. So I, sometimes I just, fall, you know, by default fall into the native EQ. They make really good stuff. Like a lot of their native stuff is good. But there are times where I, I um, also use the, uh, the Fab Filter suite. Uh, oh, sure. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, the, fa- the Fab Filter EQ, the Fab Filter compressor is amazing. They're, the limiter is absolutely bonkers especially when you want to just especially when you when you want to just push vocals just up just a little bit that fab filter pro l is amazing and the there's like the uh, the the volcano is good i mean the whole fab filter suite is like some of my favorite i've heard i've heard really good things about that that whole suite i think you can get it like they usually run deals you can get it for like a couple hundred bucks for like the whole suite mm-hmm. yeah um, up through like Sweetwater or, or loop masters or some shit like that i always see it advertised Let's go back in time a little bit. Did, were you always just a, a music producer or were you kind of like an instrumentalist growing up? Do you have like a musical background or did you just like dive in uh, and just start um, like, making beats and stuff like that? I, uh, I've always, I actually, I don't have any official musical background, although I wish that my parents did put me through that. Mm-hmm. because it was always been, it, it always has been a part of me ever since I was, I can remember when I was a kid. I mean, I would, I would be, you know, smashing on the table, making beats with my hands or beatboxing. And I would collect CDs and just listen to songs and then write down my favorite sounds or try to describe them out of the instrumentals of those songs. 
there are wow. times that I paid more attention to the instrumental than the vocals. Oh, I do that all the time. So, I do that all the time. Yeah. All the time. It takes and me the, like 10 be, or 15 times listening through a song <laughs> to even hear like any of the vocals or what their words are. <laughs> yeah. That's I never, funny. I, I'm I, like I, the I worst. I'm the worst. Like when people are like, oh, I really like that, uh, you know, what your singer did in that band. I'm like, I don't, I played in this band for two years. I don't even know what she's saying. You know, like, <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Oh my God, you're the worst. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I just have always had this, you know, really strong attachment to music and how it's made and just always wondering that. And in late high school, I, or early college, I got into DJing mm-hmm. and I bought my first set of turntables, like the beginner package. Yeah. <laughs> it comes with like two pairs of shitty belt driven turntables with like a two channel mixer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think my first record was a DJ Dan record. I got into that, and then uh, my friends at the time were super awesome, and they came together for one of my birthdays and uh, pulled together a bunch of money and bought me my first twelve techniques twelve hundred, and that took me to the next level. and And then I really understood what DJing was because I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's so much so much easier this way. It's so much more responsive." Nice. And yeah, and I just totally got into it. And in uh, I I was going to a community college at the time and they they put together this program called making music with computers and it was a whole there was an entire curriculum that they put together and they put maybe like a couple hundred thousand dollars into all this and they built they built like a whole facility with uh, 25 Macs and 25 PCs and vocal booths I mean it was they went Whoa. They went all out with it. Yeah. For, it was comu- for a community really college? That's awesome. For a community college. Yeah. And so and I was like, whoa, what is all this? Is this like around and, uh, uh, where you are now, like in, in Nevada? Or no, I you... grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I started attending these classes and I'm like, oh, I really love this. And I really like, I want to l- know more about making music because DJing was cool. And uh, I, I, I started getting into like turntablism and scratching and stuff. And I got really, really good. And, you know, and I kind of hit a wall with it. And I'm like, well, I want to like, I want to start, I want to start creating. Right. And it was a, it was a perfect time. It was a perfect timed thing because then that I ran into this class at my community college and I started taking those classes and they were teaching logic and I just totally fell in love with it. And I just, excelled in the classes and Mm -hmm. then the teacher was like well you're really good at this obviously and i want to give you an opportunity would you like to tutor some classes and i'll give you extra lab time to come in after school hours and you can just have access to the studios Mm -hmm. so i i made a deal with him and i did that and i ended up tutoring for for lab hours and yeah, so that's kind of how I fell fell into it, and and then I, uh, I just I just oh I always loved the music, but I'm a first generation in this in the states, mm-hmm. so I know I'm I'm going on a tangent for a second, but this will tie in because 
my love for music was always there except for I, I kind of, I always put it aside because I always felt the need to go through this certain path of going to college and getting a job and doing this. And for me, I'm like, well, I'm the first generation. My mom's Polish, my dad's Indonesian and they immigrated here. And I know I thought that especially them too, they're like, you need to go do these things. You need to follow this path. So music was always something that was always a, a hobby. And I was trying to get, you know, going through the path that everyone else was taking. And so I, you know, went through college and then I got a job and I did all these things. And, uh, every time I, when I got home, I would work on music, but it was never something that was, I ever really saw that was a full-time job. It was something that was always on the side because I had this idea that I should just get a real quote unquote real job. And, you know, that's the way you do it and you retire. Right. Well, and my friends always told me, they're like, dude, you should like, you could totally be, you know, do this for living and this and that. And I'm like, well, it'll just be a hobby. Come 2011, I attended a festival called Burning Man. I've heard of it. And that, (laughs) yeah, I've heard of it. that, That totally changed the course of my entire life because uh, going to that shattered the idea of anything that I had in my head that I thought was the right path. Mm-hmm. And it was so full of art and creativity and people just pushing themselves, you know, to the limit that it made me question, well, what am I doing? to push myself to the limit. What am I doing to push my creativity? Uh, and, and so it made me realize that I was suppressing something that could potentially be bigger than I thought. So then I, you know, I, I came back home and I pretty much walked away from it all. I had, uh, I started a business. I had like an internet marketing company. I, I mean, it was, I had the whole thing and I'm like, you know what? I'm walking away from all of it. And I told my partner that I'm like, you can, I'm like, dude, you can just, just go and you can have all of it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do music. And that's when I started revolver. Yeah. And so I kind of locked myself in my house and just really honed in on music production and took the mentality away that it was a hobby and really trying to go for it. And then, yeah, that's when I made Revolver and I put out a couple of tracks. And the second track that I made was with Donald Glaude because he really liked my stuff. And he was like, oh, let's do this song together. And then that got picked up by Tiesto. And he ended up playing it on his whole tour. And then it just, my, it, it all unfolded so fast after I made that decision in my life. It was crazy. And it was a quite a bit of, it was quite of a big leap to take in my life, but then it happened and it, and I never regretted looking back. Totally. And yeah, so I went to, yeah. I think yeah. I, went. I just finished reading the alchemist and it made me think of how they say in there, how, how sort of like once you make the decision to like find your passion, everything else in the universe will start to conspire in that direction as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's a very totally. true thing without getting super heady about it. I think it's also one of the, hardest decisions in the world for people to make. And that's a big reason why tons of people will never get anywhere 
that could have because right. they're too afraid to quit the day job and that. But right. It's not for everyone. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, it's definitely a big leap to take. Well, uh, Tovin, hey, thanks so much for your time. We're going to start wrapping things up here pretty soon. Is is there anything yeah. else that you want to talk about, you want to touch on? I think we touched on pretty much everything. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. what I want people to know is just always listen to your heart. And I think that's just a, I mean, I know it's a little bit of a cliche thing, but just don't let the noise around you be what it is and don't let it get into your head. Follow, you know, follow the melody in your own heart, in your mind. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for everybody out there listening, go support Kaz Tech. You can find all of his music on SoundCloud. You can find a lot of his music on Spotify. Go stream it. Listen to it because it's really fucking great. It's great stuff. Hell yeah. I'm stoked for your um, release next week too. Thanks. Hell yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for making the time. I know you're such a busy guy and uh, this kind of all came together within a few days. So we're really glad that you were able to make it work and uh, join us. So we're super thrilled about it. And I know our listeners will be too. Oh, yeah. Tell Nikki I said hi. I will for sure. All right. Thanks, man. (laughs) All right, guys. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us, dude. We appreciate it. We're going to do something now that we keep forgetting to do, but we remembered. Yeah. And fortunately, Joel just walked in. Hey, what up, Joel? Thanks for coming here through the fucking snowstorm. Album of the week. All right. See ya. Thanks. (laughs) Oh, man. What would we do without Joel? So my album of the week, actually an EP from somebody that we've had as a guest host. Oh, yeah. extended play. Yeah, his name is Matt Thornton, but you might know him as True Feels. That old thing. That old thing. <laughs> and his new EP is three tracks, and it's called Cycles, and it's awesome. First song is called Enough For You, then there's Every Day, and then there's Out of Line. It's real quick. Give it a listen or 10 and it's just your classic True Feels sounding it stuff. Is. It's you know? very classic it, True Feels. It's less of the heavy stuff that he's yeah. kind of been releasing lately and more yeah. of his like good vibes, melodic, future based kind of poppiness. Yeah, cool. I love it, man. I'm a big fan. Yeah, we know a lot of people that listen to this cast too, listen to a lot of Truffles. So. Truffles. <laughs> truffles. All right, my album of the week is by somebody that hopefully we'll have on here as well, uh, Symbionic. John is one of the founders of Gravitas, which we just talked to the other co-founder, Jesse Breda, when we were with the podcast last week. And just yesterday, Symbionic released an album he's been working on now for two years called Carbon-Based Life Form that came out on Gravitas' own label. And it's awesome. It's not really like anything else that he generally releases. It's definitely a lot of like very unique sound design, which he's you know known for. That's his, right. his shtick. But yeah. there's all kinds of genres throughout this entire thing. And it's apparently supposed to be listened to as just one continuous mix. So there's tons of BPMs throughout everything. It's not just the same thing. Every track it's tells a story and he's super, super stoked on it. And I haven't, I mean, where I'm in the Gravitas create group and also the artist group that we have going for people that have released in the past on Gravitas. And I've seen nothing but good reviews and people being super impressed with the quality of it. So if you really like sound design and you like to hear stuff that sounds super on point, this is what you want to go listen to. Me, me. Yeah, I'll listen to it. I'll listen to it later tonight when I get done editing all of this stuff. It's shockingly well mixed. I mean, not that I'd be shocked by that from John, but I am kind of, I don't know. I was, my first listen through, I was 
genuinely impressed with Blown away. how well it was EQ'd, how crazy good the mix down was, how everything was compressed perfectly. Everything sits so nicely. So he's That's an great. inspiration to us all. Good one, John. You nailed it. Cool. Album of the week. We remembered this time. Great. Yes, we did. Nice. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this week. So, that's all we got. Yeah. Uh, go listen to Kaztec. Go listen to Truefield's new EP. Go listen to Symbionic's new album. They're all awesome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the last thing, if you are out in Denver, Boulder area, and you're looking for something to do, I believe, is it going to be in a couple weeks? You yeah, got a show? I'm going out there uh, February 22nd. I'll be playing with Freddie Todd and Maddie O'Neill. Me and Maddie are doing a little tour together, tiny little thing. Sweet. We just finished up our track together yesterday that went out to mastering. And actually, Kaztec mastered it. So really? it's bumping, just Perfect. like we were talking about. Um, yeah. But yeah, the 22nd at Cervantes Ballroom, Maddie's debuting her headline there, co-headlining with Freddie Todd, and then I'll be opening for them. And then the next night, the 23rd, we'll actually be at Hody's Half Note in Fort Collins doing the the Saturday night. Love Hody's. I love that place. I love it too. Shout out to Bree for killing it in Fort Collins and bringing people out. But yeah, it should be a really fun weekend and we have more dates to announce in the near future. Also doing Bloom where I'll be back in Colorado. So lots of cool things coming up. Lots of music going to be released soon from me. So very cool. Exciting. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, we will see you or talk to you then. Yeah. Stay warm wherever the hell you are. Fuck you are. All yeah. right. <laughs>